from the Medical Republic, welcome back to The Tea Room. In the space of less than a decade, almost two dozen children have died from asthma in New South Wales, and this is despite most having risk factors that could have been detected. And perhaps even more concerningly, hospitals are following multiple guidelines at once to provide care to these children. Not only is this confusing for doctors and nurses involved, but parents are also complaining about having several different documents detailing their child's asthma care. This episode, Associate Editor of the Allergy and Respiratory Republic, Felicity Nelson, interviews a respiratory epidemiologist who's working to simplify this system. Uh, Dr. Homaira, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Felicity, for giving me this opportunity to have a chat with you today. So we've been doing a few stories based on your research into asthma care and some of the gaps that we see when patients come through the ED uh, with asthma and then obviously go back to their lives. And sometimes the the care is not always as good as it could be is uh, what we've been reporting on through some of your research. Um, do you want to give us a, a little rundown as to what who you are and, and what you study when it comes to asthma? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Felicity. Um, I think that's a good start. So, yeah, so I'm a senior lecturer with Discipline of Pediatrics at UNSW Sydney, and I'm a research uh, respiratory uh, scientist with Sydney Children Hospital at Randwick. Um, and I also lead the sort of the asthma research within the discipline. So a lot of my research is really looking into uh, the models of care for pediatric asthma across the state. Uh, using epidemiological, clinical, and health system research. So that's what we're trying to do. And um, overall objective is really to first map the existing models of care, then to identify the gaps, and then propose or implement alternate models of care that can potentially address those gaps within the existing system. And one of the things that we reported was that uh, almost two dozen children died from asthma in New South Wales between 2004 and 2013. Uh, And this was coming out of some of your research. Um, And you found that most of these kids had risk factors that could have been picked up and modified, potentially saving their lives. Uh, So can you talk me through what are some of the solutions to that problem that we see? Yes. So, um, uh, Felicity, that's actually interesting because a lot of our work um, emerges from that death report, you know, the, the the one that you just spoke about, about the 20 deaths between 2004 and 2013 in New South Wales. And um, asthma is a perfectly controllable disease, you know, and Australia is a is a very developed country with a state-of-the-art technology and um, uh, evidence-based medications and world-class doctors and health system, which can potentially address the problem. So despite all that, that number of deaths is worrying. And that sort of uh, triggered the whole asthma research within our uh, within our discipline. And so essentially what we wanted to do is we wanted to see what was happening. So in trying to do that, uh, and that death report stated that these kids, majority of them, more than 50% of them had um, risk factors that could have been potentially addressed, like psychosocial issues, you know, um, access to care and all those other things that could have been um sort of prevented if these children were under sort of re- regular surveillance or if we knew of them, you know, and if they didn't fall through the crack. So that's very, very frustrating. That's saddening as well. 
um, and this is not something that you want to know, you know, you, you, every child's life matters and you want to be able, like, you want to have those children that you care for, have, be able to give them the maximum uh, health outcomes uh, so that they have a full life. So what we did was within uh, Sydney Children's Hospital, uh, we did a small um, project look at how can we identify these kids. So we developed a risk score. Uh, that was sort of a set of risk factors to identify the children's uh, identify the children who could potentially have that risk of developing um, those risk factors that can then be fatal for them. And so we developed this risk score and we validated it within Sydney Children's Hospital Network. And we found that our risk score was really good in predicting those children who can be at high risk. And um, so uh, many of the factors um, that were sort of predictive for you know high risk children um, was their socioeconomic status, lower socioeconomic status, family history of asthma or atopia, and previous asthma hospital um, admissions. So those were really the key key factors that predicted whether a child can have a severe outcome or not. And what we concluded from that research was that these are very readily accessible information that can be accessed through the EMR. And so having those basics information, which are readily accessible through EMR, we can actually develop an algorithm or a risk code that can then be implemented within EDs or hospitals to better identify those kids who can be potentially at risk of developing fatal outcomes. So yeah, that was our one piece of work that we tried to do to address those issues. And so, you know, as a next step, we would we would like to um, sort of validate that risk score in a different setting, like an external validation, potentially in a different site um, and uh, and see if we can integrate it into a clinical um, electronic sort of algorithm tool that can be incorporated within EDs and hospital settings. Fantastic. And can you tell us a bit about what's what you're going to do next? Um, Ruby mentioned uh, one of our reporters mentioned that uh, there's a pilot program happening at Liverpool Hospital. Yes. Uh, so, um, Felicity, you know, a lot of our sort of pilot work or the groundwork that we have been doing for the last three, four years in the asthma sort of area, uh, that the world has really identified some gaps, okay, in the asthma model of care. So before I go into that, this, the cornerstone for asthma management is um, a you know, evidence-based um, clinical treatment, then ongoing asthma education for parents and carers and children on how to, you know, um, identify triggers, how to manage their symptoms, what to do when they have symptoms uh, like flare-ups and attacks and all that. And then also uh, ongoing care coordination. Care coordination meaning, you know, um, uh, linking the child with their primary care provider so that the child goes for re- re- uh, sort of uh, regular follow-up for the uh, with the primary care provider essentially every three months. Then linking the child with their school so that the t- school knows that the child has asthma or was in the hospital for asthma or something like that. And then also linking with other community-based services like, you know, home visits by community nurses or assessment of home triggers in the in the environment where the child lives. So these are really the cornerstone for, um, um, you know, asthma uh, management, ongoing asthma management. And you can see from this that a lot of this can actually happen outside the hospital setting. So these are the cornerstones. So we wanted to know what's happening in those 
cornerstones uh, cor- uh, for uh, New South Wales. And our research subsequently identified that there was marked variation. And in some settings, the, these care coordination or the ongoing components of asthma management were almost non-existent. Um, so we have identified that. Um, and what we did was, as a as a as part of quality initiative care within Sydney Children's Hospital, we did a care coordination work. Whereas, you know, our hospital-based care coordinator coordinated um, ongoing care for the child who came to uh, came to Sydney Children's Hospital with asthma attack. So that care coordination mean, meant that the child was connected with their primary care provider, was provided with a letter for the GP. Um, and also, you know, uh, the child was then sent reminders so that the child goes for their follow-up with their GP. So that was the Sydney Children's Hospital work that we did. And we found out that that was really a good model. Parents liked it because parents always mention that, you know, um, that emergency departments are often used as the primary point of contact when the child has asthma attack, which shouldn't be, you know, it should, it should really be your primary care provider. Um, so that model really worked. And so we, 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 we gathered our experience from that model and from what we know from our research, and we developed a model of care, and that is being piloted in Liverpool Hospital uh, from uh, generous funding from Asthma Australia. So Asthma Australia provided us with the funding. So we are implementing this model of care in Liverpool Hospital as a pilot project, whereby you know we are really trying to standardize care so that every child who comes to the hospital with an asthma attack gets an asthma resource pack. In that resource pack, the child, the child, parents and carers of the child will have a booklet with basic information about asthma, asthma and your child. And then we'll have a letter for the GP. We'll have a letter for the child's school. We'll have an action plan, which is a cornerstone for asthma management. And um, and we'll also have, have you know um, information to other resources that are available online, like Asthma Australia's resources and all that. So the child will get get that asthma resource back when they come to the hospital and are being discharged. They will also get reminders from the hospital every three months, reminding them to go for their regular follow-up with their primary care provider, because that is very, very important for continuity of care. We will also link with the child's school and inform them of the child's recent hospital presentation and provide them with the resources so that they can also know about asthma and what to do when a child has an asthma attack. So and, 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 and the last component is we're also going to do a virtual home visit because, you know, given the current scenario we are in, we're in a pandemic and we might be in this situation for long and there, could, there will be episodes of um, disruptions, you know. So we really need to have a model of care that addresses those challenges and is flexible. So we are also going to do some virtual home visits in Liverpool, whereby a care coordinator who's a nurse will do a virtual home visit of the child's home and see if there are any mediation that needs to be done within the household so that the child doesn't have a trigger for an asthma attack. So that is a model that's being implemented in Liverpool. And hopefully once we evaluate the model, we know how effective it is. But we are hoping that this is going to lead to at least 60 to 70 percent of reduction in preventable hospital admissions due to asthma in children. And the future goal of that is really taking this model to rural New South Wales, where definitely the demand is much more. And from what I was reading about your research, it seems like one of the main problems is that there's several conflicting asthma management guidelines uh, and doctors and carers and parents use different ones uh, and there's often a little bit of confusion around what the best um, pathway is. Uh, How does that affect how 
uh, asthma is managed by GPs and um, specialists in hospitals? Yeah, that, that that's a very important question, Felicity, because, you know, um, the, the study that you're talking about was just recently published where we, again, it was an it was our, our initiative to map the existing models of care. So we surveyed all the hospitals across New South Wales. And what we found out that uh, while clinical guidelines were used to treat children with asthma and also children will were given an asthma action plan when they left the hospital, but different hospitals. So let me just break it this way. Different LHDs, different hospitals within the same LHD and different departments within the same hospital used different documents. On an average, five to six different documents were used in each LHD. So now you can, uh, you know, naturally ask me, so what's the big problem as long as they're scientific or as as long as they're evidence-based? Exactly. I absolutely agree with you on that. But what is interesting is, and this came out from the same research where um, health staff, like doctors and nurses, anecdotally reported to us that having these different documents is actually very confusing because then the, the, the parents get confused which one to use when the child has a flare-up. Even the health staff get confused, like which one to give to the child. And it's confusing for the GPs as well. So as part of our research in Sydney Children Hospital Network, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, we picked up the same thing. So when we talked to few parents in the beginning of our study, the parents mentioned this, that there's seven to eight different types of action, asthma action plans, and they don't know which one to use which one is the best one, potentially all of them are same, you know, but for a mother of a child who has asthma, they're not supposed to know this, that the content is the same and you can potentially use any. So ideally, as part of our project in Liverpool and as our next step, that's what we want to do. We want to standardize care. Um, Like I told you that we are handing out an asthma resource pack for every child who comes to the hospital with an asthma. So that resource pack is really an effort to standardize care because that's going to have the same action plan, same asthma resource book and same letters for the GPs and all that so that there is a... that there is less and less variation in care. And then it's also less complicated for GPs because GPs have also mentioned to us on many occasions that it's it's complicated. There are so many different asthma resources there. So it's very difficult for them to know which one to use. And, you know, primary care providers are already overexhausted with the huge load of patients they have to deal with. So unless and until these guidelines are made simple, made easily accessible, made, um, you know, sort of standard, we can't expect people to always do the right thing. It's not possible that way. I think, yeah, that's an amazing initiative and probably will help GPs and specialists out quite a bit if there's, you know, a one set of guidelines that they can follow. Um, and what can GPs do to address this problem of kids with asthma Um not necessarily being managed um, on an, in an ongoing way successfully to the point where they end up in the emergency department. So if, if there were a few things that GPs could do right away, what would you recommend? What are the, the most important things? Yes, yeah, so, so Felicity, you know, our another piece of work that was like a nationwide um, uh, research and it was an initiative care track kids project, which was a huge uh, National Health and Medical Research Council funded project, and it was across the country. And we looked into, again, asthma variation in care. And some of the key variations that we identified or the key issues that we identified from that research was really um, the spacer technique, so the inhaler device technique, how to use it, 
uh, as my action plan. Uh, so these were some of the issues that we picked up. So if I if I had the opportunity to convey to primary care providers three important messages for ongoing management of children, that would be that uh, really when a child who has asthma come for their follow up with the primary care provider. Uh, to make sure that the child has an asthma action plan and that that asthma action plan is discussed with the parent and the child and developed in discussion with them because you know that will improve adherence to that uh, asthma action plan primary care provider should really make the time to see that the child and the parent know how to use their spacer device the inhaler device that's the second most important thing, uh, and is aware of the triggers, environmental triggers that may precipitate asthma in that child. And, and another important thing of those three things that I would really uh, recommend is, um, is that ensuring that the child comes from a regular follow-up, you know, at least every three months, even if the child doesn't have asthma symptoms, because facility asthma is a very dynamic disease. And what happens is between episodes of asthma attack, there can be long, long intervals when the child doesn't have any symptoms. So it's very easy for parents and children to forget Okay, and then they suddenly have these attacks, which is really, really um, detrimental. You know, um, it it not only affects the health, but it affects psychological impact, school performance, missed days from work, and everything. So there's this huge burden of each asthma attack. So primary care providers should really make it a point that they advise the regular follow-up to the children when they come and their parents that they should come every three months to get their asthma sort of uh, assessed, asthma symptoms assessed, even if they don't have any symptoms. And, um, and then, you know, from GP settings, what we can do is we can actually develop a system that will send text message reminders to the parents that, you know, you should come because we do get reminders from, from our specialist and from other services when we have medical visits. So we can potentially develop that system so that these text message reminders are sent out to those parents that you, this is a time and you, know, you should book your appointment and come back. Just like for the COVID vaccine we are getting now, you know, I think those type of systems uh, and given COVID, I think we are in a, in, a, in an advantageous situation because there has been some level of capacity development, especially in terms of digital health and all that. So we can really leverage this this capacity development that has happened over the last eighteen or twenty months and and really use these added skills or added technologies to to you know improve health outcomes for other other chronic condition conditions. Thank you so much for your time. That was fascinating. Thank you so much, Felicity, and I hope to have more chats with you in the future. Before we go, don't forget that you can follow or subscribe to The Tea Room right now by searching for the show on the podcast player of your choice. You'll then be notified when a new episode becomes available. Catch you next time.